Our stories matter more than we think, even when they feel lost among larger ones. It is, of course, one thing to write about a destructive fire that left three dead and destroyed thousands of homes and businesses, and fundamentally changed two small Oregon towns forever. The overarching narrative to such an event is, in and of itself, shocking. We still don't know the full story on the why, and or the how, but the Almeida fire itself has kept reporters busy. It's another thing to tighten your focus. But for weeks now, that's what our reporters have been doing. Macro to micro is a typical transition on bigger stories like the Almeida fire, but the level to which it happened this time around is significant. The firestorm affected so many in our community to such a degree, and several of our writers have really been making an effort to discover these stories that are sometimes easily missed in the bigger picture. These are stories of clearing away the destruction and starting anew. And in some cases, stories of very particular recoveries made among the ashes. Today on The Insider, I'll briefly revisit one of these and get some perspective on rendering these kinds of stories in the shadow of their parent. This is Ryan File with the Mail Tribune, and you're listening to The Insider. Aliana Darrow started her position as our Ashland reporter on September 2nd. Six days later, the Almeida fire broke out. I was sitting in the Taqueria in downtown Ashland, and I'd just gotten off the phone with the city attorney. I was doing some meet and greet interviews, just get to know people and, and see what the main issues were in Ashland. And I was supposed to meet with police chief that day as well. And uh, I saw the whole kitchen staff come out from the back and sort of swarm toward the window. And we all turned and we saw the big smoke cloud coming up. And um, Quiet Village was my neighborhood all through high school. So I knew where it was coming from. And I called Justin and I said, hey, do you know about this fire that's going on? And he said, yeah, we've got photographers on it. We've got people on it. And I sort of wished that I had a seasoned reporter standing right there telling me, this is what you do. You know, this is how you attack it. But I didn't. So I just kind of followed my instincts and I got in my car and I went to work and got close to it and checked in on my neighbors and um, tried to get some photos, got texts from Justin saying our photographers are stuck on the freeway and we just sort of sent back little bits of information that day of what we knew and what we didn't know and what we were looking for and um, just tried to tried to get busy answering questions, whatever questions I could answer. What was it like to be at your new job literally less than a week and then suddenly be witness to one of the biggest stories in this area just, just ever? It's interesting because a couple of people have come up to me and said, wow, you must really love that you got this big story right when you got here. I said, this is not a story I ever wanted. You know, this is not something where I said, yeah, let's have some incredible destruction and I'll report on it. You know, that's not how I approach my job. So it was definitely um, disconcerting. I felt a little lost, but I think when you have people surrounding you who know what they're doing and you want to contribute for your team and you want to be there for your community, um, you just, like I said, get to work answering questions and you find out the basics, the who, what, where, when, why, and then you start digging in and picking up all the little pieces that you can about what people 
know and don't know and what they're thinking and feeling and fearing and celebrating and you just start taking notes. So that's what I did. <laughs> Were there stories that you knew you wanted to look for as soon as you found your footing a little bit, as, as soon as things started to settle into place and it's like, okay, this is what we're dealing with now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I ever had that moment. I would say what I did, um, so the day after the fire, when I figured if we'd had internet, there would typically be Facebook groups popping up and different events that people would be doing and that's how we would communicate, but we didn't have that. So instead, I just started driving around Ashland. And I'd get in the car and I drove to Quiet Village and I asked my neighbors, you know, what's the city been telling you? Maybe there's a story there. How are you responding to coming back to your house after evacuation? Maybe there's a story there. And then driving by Hersey Street, I happened upon the bike brigade that they were 15 minutes from pedaling out to talent, you know, this water. And, and that became my story. And then they were the ones telling me about a resource center across town. And that became another story. And so I just sort of let what was happening guide where I needed to be and what questions I needed to be answering. Yeah. Well, how was that uh, comfort level wise? I mean, did, did it feel like there was a flow or were you just kind of going where it felt right? I'd say both. I, I didn't necessarily have a direction. I think that was part of um, both what made uh, me really proud of some of the work that I put together um, was I just, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't know what was happening any more than anybody else did, you know. So I felt pretty comfortable being the person that just drove into a mobile home park and parked and got out and started talking to folks and see what they had to say and what they wanted to know and uh, just follow where word of mouth was sending me mm -hmm. in town. And um, in the initial days after the fire was out, everything was so chaotic and confusing still. How did you keep your eye on the ball in, in terms of what you were after, what you were seeking? Yeah, that was a challenge for sure. I think we've all spoken about it a little bit in this newsroom is that we wanted to be doing our job. That's what we we all have a calling, right, to do this job. But we also want to be good family members. We want to take care of each other. And so I just wake up and I said, okay, here's something I don't know the answer to. And if I don't know the answer to it, somebody else is asking the same question. So I need to endeavor to find an answer to that because that's how I'm serving my community right now. So that was what kept my focus was just, you know, horrible smoke. Let's find out what it's doing to our health. You know, we were stuck inside. What does that mean for people? You don't have access to resources. Where can you go get them? And I just tried to, to keep focusing on that and have at least one thing where I felt like I was contributing something positive. One of your stories that really moved me uh, was the one you did about archaeologists uh, looking for the cremated remains of people's loved ones among the destruction and uh, reuniting with them. Um, that piece's first line is a, is a quote, which is is rare uh, in anecdotal leads, but I thought this one was it was just so effective because it just it seems to sum up perfectly what anyone who had a chance to be reunited with a loved one's ashes after such an event would say, you know. I, and the, the line is, I just couldn't leave her here like that. And I'd love to hear more about the process of reporting on and writing this story because it was really hopeful and sad at the same time. And it just had so many dualities about it. Yeah, it certainly was. And I was so grateful that I had the opportunity to be out there doing that story. Um, I, I showed up and they assigned us each to a team that was going out to work on these sites. And I was fortunate that the client, the person who was seeking their family member's remains, was very open to speaking to the press. I just said, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. Are you okay with talking to me? 
And it took about three hours for them to find what they were looking for. So I stood there with her, you know, we're in our suits and our masks and we just talked and she told me all about her family and we sorted through little bits and pieces we could find that were still whole and you really get to know this person in a scenario like that when they're especially when they're being so honest and so raw and that's such an honor to receive that right and then you want to do it justice and so we're standing there and they'd finished finding what they could find and they put it in a bag and they were going to hand it to her and they're stepping outside the caution tape and she just you know broke down it was the most raw moment was when she said that and watching it was really beautiful you know it was just this loving compassionate moment and full of gratitude and so as I was writing it I'm thinking how do I tell that I let her tell it that's what I do is I just let her explain what it felt like right from the get-go and so that's why I decided to use that quote yeah, I, I loved the choice. I, th I thought it was great. Um, it really set the tone just right away, right out of the gate. You had told me in our correspondence that some people you had talked to really wanted to talk about what happened and that it was cathartic for them to recount how this fire affected them. I was curious if you could elaborate on that and if there were any moments uh, in particular interviewing people where this really stood out or just moments like that that you noticed? There are a couple that really stand out and it it stood out more the further we got away from the fire, I think, as people started to fully process what their day had looked like. Even me, I hadn't walked through the steps of, you know, being from the restaurant to the to driving. I didn't remember all those pieces until later. So one day, <clears throat> Ashland Fire Chief Dave Shepard offered to take me around talent and just narrate his 30 hours on the fire. So we just sat in his car and we drove around and he just told me what it looked like. And he would pull over the car and he'd say, He'd stop in the middle of a sentence and say, I remember watching that bark, light up that bush, light up that tree, light up that house, you know, just these visuals that he could recall. And so we drove around and he just said, everybody has their own experience like that. And we went over to the uh, District 5 fire hall and you walk into a room full of firefighters who have just worked that event there's 40 people in the room. There's 40 different stories, right? How do you pick one? And so he sort of directed me to some people. He said, you know, anybody in that group would have a great story. And I went over. And for some people, what stood out to them was the next day when they see something like someone returning to their home that's no longer there. For other people, it's a memory of watching a particular house burn. And I think each person just sharing that and then saying, Thank you for listening. I didn't ever expect to hear that from someone. Thank you for listening to my story as a reporter. Mm -hmm. And that was just really special. Or the, the woman who had made these quilts for her great-grandchildren and they burned in the fire. That was something that I really connected with as with grandmothers who make these quilts and, and have all these put all this work into it. And then her just sharing with me that that all burned. You know, it, she said, thank you so much for listening to my story. And that just makes me feel good that if that's something I can help with, they're doing me the honor of sharing their story. I'm responding by listening, and I hope that is a, a positive experience for everyone. So what's next for you, do you think? Are there other pieces you're still pursuing like this? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, some of them pop up. You know, we can be paying really close attention to what we think is there, and then something new comes in. I think as reporters, we have to be open to how that changes and how that's different. There's a couple themes I'm interested in pursuing, one being mental health. Um, we, out on that uh, Cremains field day, the lead organizer was talking to his archeologists about being at the campfire and how he, in Paradise, California, and how he listened to people say, 
They wish they hadn't made it out. And him just describing, you don't put your head down and keep doing your job when somebody says something like that to you. You engage with that person, right? And I think that engagement and finding the, the compassion and the willingness to look out for people is, is a component we should be paying attention to. Just what these compounded crises of COVID and fires are going to do to our collective mental health. I think there's a couple of stories in there that need to be told. And then uh, following the money. You know, we've got FEMA, we've got state, we've got local. There's all this money coming into this from various directions. And as a reporter, I want to be diligent about making sure that those dollars are going to places that are actually going to help people impacted by this and that we're, we're keeping an eye out for the people who are attempting to defraud or take advantage of people's pain. So that's where I'm gearing my focus. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing all this with me. And um, you've done a magnificent job so far, and I'm looking forward to what's next. Thank you. Thank you.